cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Our weapons translate to the power that you can have um, And it's a type of unhealthy power For me, what healthy power means is the interconnectedness that nature shows us so if you look at the planet, all the ecosystems are balanced, and that is power for nature. And we as humans have desensitized ourselves from the power um, that we could have with nature, the positive type of power. And instead we have resorted to threatening and destroying ourselves, which is not only going to affect our environment if we keep on the root of fossil fuels, but also our civilizations if we keep on the root of nuclear weapons. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela. 9th of May is the final day in a month-long Global Days of Action on Military Spending. It's been bringing attention to the almost $5 billion US dollars a day that is funneled into an industry with the intent of destruction of life. It has been a time for taking action to move military budgets to human needs. In the lead-up to the 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, in the centre of a global pandemic and ecological crisis, with the hands of the doomsday clock at 100 minutes to midnight, this is arguably one of the most important times for action on military spending. And there are many around the world that are committed to that work, at 11pm on Saturday 25th of April, I joined thousands of people across the earth online for the World Conference 2020, Abolish Nuclear Weapons, Resist and Reverse the Climate Crisis for Social and Economic Justice. Today, I'm bringing you some excerpts of a few of those speeches from Wada Masako-san, Dr. Carlos Humana and Jay Bestida. First up, Wada Masako-san from the Japan Confederation of A and H Bomb Sufferers Organizations. On the 75th anniversary year of the atomic bombings, I feel very honored and grateful for the, this opportunity to speak before you in this first online world conference against A and H bombs. I am Wada Masako of Nihon Hidankyo. Nagasaki was devastated by the atomic bomb when I was one year and ten months old, as I am one of the youngest Hibakusha. On that day, I was at my house, located 2.9 kilometers away from the blast center. Thanks to the mountains surrounding the central part of Nagasaki city, which shielded my house from the direct impact of the bomb, I suffered no burns or injuries and have survived to this day. As I was only a baby then, I do not remember anything about that time myself. But as I grew up, my mother related the story of her experience over and over again. With the A-bomb explosion, window panes, clay walls, and the sliding doors of our house were all blown to pieces by the blast. A pile of mud and dust over 30 centimeters 
was left on the floor, on the road along the mountain surface, which had turned brown. My mother was so a lot of people escaping from fires, like ants moving down over the mountains toward our community. Numerous maggots as big as your thumb were swarming on the burns and wounds of the victims who were laid all over the floor of a college auditorium. Dead bodies scattered in the streets were collided with their arms and legs sticking out of the heaps. They were carried in, into the empty lot next to a house and incinerated and cremated day, day after day. My mother soon became numb, even to the stench from burning bodies, losing the scene of their, of their humanity. What is hu human dignity? Humans are not created to be treated like this, incinerated like garbage. After the atomic bombing and under the occupation of the United States, press reports about the atomic bombing were strictly suppressed. If actually not informed about the causes of their suffering, both physically and mentally, or, or their economic difficulties, they were left up abandoned without any help, either from the Japanese or U.S. governments for 10 years, and hid themselves from society in forced silence. Most victims were, who were unable to receive any relief measures were recorded simply as statistics. By the end of December 1945, about 140,000 people in Hiroshima and 70,000 in Nagasaki had died as a result of the bombings. Most of them were civilians, including the elderly, women and children, and the number of deaths continued to increase in ensuing years. Now, those who have managed to survive have, have grown old. Our average is Age, average age is 83 years old. The Hibakusha's deep suffering continued for a long period, even to this day. The loss of their loved ones, survivors' guilt, scenes, sounds, and smell of the day burnt into their memories. Diseases of unknown causes, economic difficulties, prejudice, and discrimination in society, and many buried dreams. Those who were under the mushroom cloud, irrespective of their race, nationality, age, or sex, were forced to die or to continue to live as Hibakusha. The A-bomb impact on people's physical and mental health is seen even among those who were in mother's uterus on those days, and also men among the second generation of the Hibakusha. For the last 64 years, since the founding of Nihon Hidankyo in 1956, 
as the only national organization of the Hibakusha. We the Hibakusha have maintained our pledge to save humanity from its crisis through the lessons learned from our experiences, while at the same time saving ourselves, as stated in our funding declaration. With this commitment, we have preserved our work to achieve a nuclear weapon-free world by giving testimonies about our experiences across the world. We know that if a nuclear weapon is to be used for the third time, there would be no one who would survive and rejoice about its devastation. In an atomic desert, where nothing is left, who can be proud of the might of national power, status, or prestige? We just heard from Wada Masako-san from the Japan Confederation of A and H Bomb Sufferers Organizations. This is the Radioactive Show, heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Next up, Dr. Carlos Yumana from the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. We're living in challenging times. In the midst of a global health and economic crisis that has the world in lockdown, we are coming to terms with several harsh realities, including the vulnerability of the current global system. We must be clear, however, that although a virus sparked this crisis, it is political in origin, not biological. It stems from governments dismissing and ignoring the warnings made by scientists and medical professionals throughout the world. The most important lesson that society must learn from this pandemic is that science must not be ignored. And science has, time and again, issued detailed warnings regarding nuclear weapons. With nuclear weapons, however, the stakes are much higher. Healthcare professionals have, for decades, outlined the humanitarian consequences of nuclear detonation and pointed out the risks inherent to the existing nuclear arsenals. As we have just learned from Wada's son's uh, testimony, these are no ordinary bonds. The devastation caused by these uniquely destructive weapons would involve both space and time. Cities would become inaccessible and uninhabitable for long periods of time, and the atrocious effects of acute and chronic radiation would not only affect survivors throughout their lives with various cancers and chronic illnesses, but also their progeny, who will have a high risk of severe genetic and birth defects, as well as a higher risk of cancer. There is no possibility of first response, as most healthcare workers will have died, most hospitals, clinic, and communication infrastructure will have been destroyed, and the radiation will make it impossible for external first responders to aid the victims of a nuclear detonation. Victims with injuries, burns, and the painful manifestation of acute radiation syndrome will be left to suffer and die alone. Moreover, a high-altitude nuclear explosion would create an electromagnetic pulse that would disrupt most electrical devices within a radius far greater than the physical devastation from the nuclear blast, causing widespread failure of automobiles, computers, telephones, and telecommunications. The world, as we know it, will radically change. Climate scientists have determined that a limited nuclear war one caused by 100 Hiroshima-sized nuclear weapons 
detonated in cities in a war between India and Pakistan would not only cost several million deaths and injuries, but that the suit and debris that rise to the atmosphere will rapidly reduce the temperature in the biosphere, affecting the production of staple grains, rice, wheat, corn, and soy, resulting in a famine that would kill around 2 billion people worldwide, mostly from economically challenged countries, many of them far away from where the original conflict took place. The scarcity of food supplies and the ensuing price speculation will increase the likelihood of armed conflicts and perhaps even a full-scale nuclear war, which aside from killing dozens of millions of people, would generate a nuclear winter through which many species, maybe even our own, could become extinct. Recovery from a full-scale nuclear war would be impossible. The only sensible path is to prevent it. Scientists have also told us that the risk that this will occur is ever greater. The doomsday clock, created by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, is a symbolic clock that measures a global man-made catastrophe in minutes to midnight, marks, for 2020, 100 seconds to midnight, the highest risk in history. This is mainly due to the incendiary rhetoric of leaders of nuclear countries and the ease with which they make nuclear threats, the growing climate crisis and its potential for generating and aggravating conflict, and the ever-growing risk of accidental nuclear detonations and technological Now, over 1,000 accidents have been recorded in the, with the U.S. nuclear arsenal alone, six of which have nearly resulted in nuclear war. Of the nearly 14,000 nuclear warheads in the current global arsenal, approximately 1,800 remain in a state of high alert pointing at cities ready to be detonated within minutes. The high technological dependence makes high alert systems vulnerable to cyber attacks and to human and technical error. This risk is so great that scientists in the Future of Life Institute have determined that the most likely nuclear war is an accidental one. If we are alive today, it is due to luck rather than to good management of these arsenals. If we're not willing to bet that this luck will last forever, then we must work actively towards eliminating nuclear threats, and we must do so urgently. Now, as weapons, nuclear weapons are not practical. Their effects cannot be controlled. They do not respect borders. They are not made to destroy military targets, but to destroy cities and kill many civilians. Using them would be a suicidal act, so they cannot really be warfare. The sole reason for possessing them is the threat they represent, the semantic charge behind the words nuclear power and nuclear deterrent. Nuclear weapons thus function, in the sense, as a symbol, the construction of which has been supported and maintained not only by the nine nuclear weapon states and their allies, but by the entire world, both actively and passively, until recently. On July the 7th, 2017 at the UN in New York, 122 countries, a clear majority of the international community, voted in favor of adopting the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, the TPNW. This treaty prohibits the development, testing, production, stockpiling, stationing, transfer, use, and threat of use of nuclear weapons. This is the product of co the collective empowerment of non-nuclear weapon states and of them assuming an active role as stakeholders, 
the nuclear weapons issue. This refreshing new way of conducting international politics that was coined by a Costa Rican diplomat as in the UN as the democratization of nuclear disarmament fosters cooperation and strengthens the multilateral regime, which are necessary ingredients to effectively face humanity's present challenges. The threat of imminent nuclear war makes less sense than ever right now. And in light of the world's current crisis, spending the yearly sum of $116 billion in the maintenance and modernization of the world's nuclear arsenal is beyond ludicrous. It is urgent to give peace a chance. It is urgent to move towards nuclear disarmament and ban nuclear weapons. The failure to face the threat posed by COVID-19 turned out to be disastrous. But the continued negligence of governments in similarly ignoring the nuclear threat will be far worse. The silver lining with this pandemic is that humanity has a chance to finally open its eyes to the warnings of science, to the latent risk of catastrophe that we are in, and to the urgent need for cooperation and peace. Our plea to policymakers is to be on the right side of history, to be on the side of science, evidence, and common sense. The alternative, as we now know all too well, is catastrophe. Thank you very much. We've been hearing part of a speech from Carlos Humana, given as part of an online conference of nuclear abolitionists, peace, climate and justice movement leaders, World Conference 2020. And I encourage you to read the statement that was released from that conference. Go to worldconference2020.org and also to listen to the entire two hours of powerful talks. And you can find those by going to the Rosa Lux NYC YouTube channel. That's R-O-S-A-L-U-X-N-Y-C. Finally, on the Radioactive Show today is Mexican-Chilean First Nations activist, G. Bastida. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for making this space for me to be here today. I thank all of you for listening to this very important topic. My name is Shia Bastida, and I am an 18-year-old climate justice activist. I have been working in the climate justice space for about one year now at the level of national and international organizing. I organized the September 20th climate strike in New York City, which brought over 300,000 people to the streets. Um, and now I'm working on turning all the campaigns digital. Uh, something about me is that I was born in Mexico and I was raised as part of the Otomi Toltec indigenous philosophy and indigenous peoples. Um, my parents, growing up, they told me, you know, indigenous philosophy is important because that says we take care of the earth because the earth takes care of us. Uh, we have to be reciprocal. We have to give what we take. And that thinking is what has guided me through all of my climate justice activism. Um, and for me, what that means for me in terms of nuclear weapons is this. I think that the reason for humans to feel like they need to have this type of power, because nuclear weapons translate to the power that you can have. Um, and it's a type of unhealthy power. For me, what healthy power means is the interconnectedness 
that nature shows us. So if you look at the planet, all the ecosystems are balanced, and that is power for nature. And we as humans have desensitized ourselves from the power um, that we could have with nature, that positive type of power. And instead we have resorted to threatening and destroying ourselves, which is not only going to affect our environment if we keep on the root of fossil fuels, but also our civilizations if we keep on the root of nuclear weapons. And in terms of the environmental effects of nuclear weapons, as I'm sure a lot of you can imagine, it would be uh, truly devastating. Um, as per the World Health Organization, water supplies would be contaminated not only by radioactivity, but also by pathogenic bacteria and viruses. And what this time shows us, the time of the coronavirus pandemic, is that we cannot afford to have a system that doesn't treat uh, people who are sick right away or right to avoid another pandemic. And in a scenario of, of nuclear deterrence, this would be exacerbated, as uh, we have heard before. Sewage treatment and waste disposal facilities would have almost completely disappeared. We would lose a lot of the stability of our society. And in a lot of my uh, work in climate activism, um, most of it centers around justice, justice for communities, uh, that are the most affected by, by the climate crisis. Frontline communities, such as indigenous communities and black and brown communities in spaces like New York City, which I am in right now, in which 17% of adults have asthma in the Bronx, which is 10% higher than the national average. For me, what that means is that climate justice means social justice in a lot of senses, not only in the ways in which uh, you can most rapidly uh, know what the race of a group is, depending on whether or not it's close uh, to, um, to a fossil fuel industry plant or something like that. And for me, um, I think that when we get into such a conflict like nuclear conflict, obviously the most affected are gonna be frontline communities. Um, or, and it's going to exacerbate the social gap, the social instability in our systems. And if I am trying to prevent the climate crisis to do those kind of things on our, on our society, I also have to pay attention to the other threats that could cause instability in our society, which is why I have uh, decided to come up on here and talk to you from a perspective of a youth who is worried about the instability that may arise from a crisis like this um and there's like a lot of statistics as we have heard today such as you know our ozone layer would be depleted by 40 percent in most of the world and up to 70 percent in the poles this would cause dramatic environmental effects as well as dramatic social effects and the same as always those with money and power are going to be the ones who will be able to maybe run away from this crisis for a short time, if anything. Um, and just going back on the topic of why I interconnect this with climate justice is because the reason why we are in a climate catastrophe is because of the greed and because of the insensitivity that a lot of us humans have put into the system, corruption. And that ties in with why we are also wanting to have weapons of mass destruction to show the power um, that a lot of people want to have. So my message for um, this panel of people from all around the world 
for watching us is that the youth obviously want to see a better future for, for, for us and all of us on our planet. Not only in the sense of climate justice, but also in the sense of security from the anxiety that comes from the possibility of a nuclear war. Uh, because if we're trying to fight so hard for climate justice because of the things that might happen to our world, um, because of everything that is still going on, we also need to be part of this conversation in the sense of uh, we want to protect the world. We want to protect the future. We want to protect you and we want you to protect us. Uh, this has to be an intergenerational conversation now more than ever. Um, and I think that all social issues have to be intergenerational conversations because we are at a tipping point in which my generation is going to be the most affected by the actions that adults take. Uh, so with that, I want to thank all of the panelists that have already gone and all of the ones who are going to come on because I am learning a lot um, and I know I still have more to learn, but I wanted to bring my perspective from a climate justice perspective. That brings us to the end of today's program and again that address to read the statement that came out of that conference worldconference2020.org and for more information on the global campaign on military spending go to gcoms.org in Australia, on the 9th of May, the Independent and Peaceful Australian Network published a national statement calling on the Australian government to stop investing in unjust US-led wars and invest in the health and safety of its people. Furthermore, they're calling on Defence Minister Reynolds to reconsider her decision to allow US Marines on rotation in Darwin this year, despite the otherwise strong COVID-19 border restrictions. They also report that in April, the Stockholm Peace Research Institute released a report showing that Australia is maintaining a position of 13th largest investor in military expenditure with an annual spend of $47 billion on warfare capability in 2019. To read and sign the statement and share that, go to ipan.org.au forward slash healthcare underscore not underscore warfare and we'll also provide the links to that on our 3CR webpage that's 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive you can also find and share the podcasts of this and previous shows and if you want to get in contact with us, you can email radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Thanks so much to the ongoing support of Friends of the Earth's Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective and to the Community Radio Network for getting this show out to our listeners on community radio stations around the country. Please join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.